Welcome to Bonded Voices. This is Lauren. I'm Ian. And I'm Greg. Today's episode will be the economics of cheap labor. Who wants to go with this one? This is a fascinating topic because we're all price conscious. We all have to make the numbers work at the end of the month. We've had previous conversations on financial literacy and taking care of the numbers. But how many times do you look at that item you want to purchase and think about how did that item get here and why is it priced the way that it is? Absolutely. And I think there's a point to cheap labor that not a huge fan of unions, but the unions are right on, which is that cheap labor can be really detrimental to the working class and the middle class. And, you know, and we'll get deeper into it in a minute. Um, one of my thoughts around this is the U.S. housing and the way houses are built using cheap labor because it's labor that's usually not documented or labor that is uh, you know, outside of the professional certifications. Well, we're outsourcing our skilled labor to other countries. And so oh, we, don't, way, yeah. we don't know how to do the jobs ourselves anymore. Right. So let's think of it like this. Right? You know, I think everyone can understand how the price of things affects them, how, the, how much you get paid to do something affects you. And as a for instance, and you know, talking about back to the title of the economics of cheap labor, think about the gardening business. Like we're here in Arizona. If my kids wanted to, like, hey, Dad, lend me some money. I want to start my own garden business. Look who they're competing against. It's a, it would be a race to the bottom price-wise, which if you're paying the ticket, it's great. Right. But it, it has a knock-on effect by getting things below what their actual value should be. Now, some may argue that everything is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. We'll look at how you know the old Main Street of of communities used to be where all the small businesses lived. Right. Yeah. Main Street's been devastated with the likes of Amazon. Now, do I use Amazon every day? Probably. I, I'm not every day, but it feels like it. Sometimes I have an Amazon truck driving, but it would be just as easy to go to the neighborhood store. But hey, I'm going to save a couple bucks. And that couple bucks over the course of a year could end up to be hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars I'm saving by going to Amazon versus the the local shop, which that's where we're all trying to be you know, financially which, smart. Which probably had more specialization. Yeah. Like let's say it was the local hardware store. There's probably people who knew more about what they do sure. in there, how things worked, rather than just, it's over there, we got it from China, it's 10 bucks cheaper than you're going to get it from that specialty well, store. Every part at Home Depot you can order on Amazon. And actually, Home Depot is probably not the right example because that's a big corporate yeah. thing. I tried to, and recently I've gone to using the Ace Hardware by oh, my house all the time, yeah. because it's a franchise owned by an individual. Mm -hmm. It's not goes into the corporate bucket and it's off to some big, big, uh, you know, entity that we don't know. Well, I, I agree with all of those points. I remember when Walmart was expanding like crazy and I was displeased with my viewpoint of how many small towns were just torn apart. Because a Walmart would come in and it would take out the nursery, 
the hardware store, yep. the, the grocery store, the pharmacy, all of those that were historically independently owned. And so you would go see Floyd at the pharmacy. Hey, how are the kids? Hey, what's yep. going on? How long did it take you to get over that cold that you were in here taking care of however long ago? And that was for some period of time. I actually boycotted that store thinking shame on them, which ultimately hurts the employees and the what have you. But the economics of where did those materials come from? And trying to pay attention, even if you go to Amazon, there are times if you say, I don't want to buy items from a certain country, sometimes it's difficult to figure out where was this product made. Well, everything's the, the, the source of a lot of the stuff is hidden. And that brings up a good point with, you know, the economics of this, of using labor in other, other countries is the prime example is the batteries, like the, the cobalt. Yeah. yeah, the cobalt from batteries sourced mainly from the Congo, which is completely slave labor. Mm -hmm. If yeah. not not 100% slave labor, it's getting fairly close to that. Yeah. And when I open up an iPhone or a you know an Android phone or even a Tesla, I don't think about, oh, this was produced by slave labor. I just go, oh, okay, it's cheap. You bring up a great thing there, Lawrence. Could, and I've asked this question before, could you get an iPhone for the cost you get an iPhone if it wasn't for cheap labor? No. No. 100% not. Right. So in a lot of ways, and we're all complicit in this, right? Um, we're willing to turn a blind eye to suffering to get products we like at a discounted price. What was the whole thing uh, a few years ago where it was uh, Nike was caught with oh, they, they, slave labor, mm -hmm. right? In the Uyghurs. China. Yeah. yeah. The Uyghurs in China. But didn't slow their sales down because everyone wants that fashion of yeah. the shoes. Right. And, and then, yeah, I even I told my kids about it, and they're like, oh, I think everyone does it. No, they don't. Well, it's almost and, like that NIMBY, not in my backyard, where right. people want, you mentioned housing earlier. Well, people want... <clears throat> Yeah, we should take care of the homeless issue as long as it's not in my backyard. Right. I don't want that encampment built at my park. Uh, but <clears throat> the the quality of homes that are being built, what's interesting is you think about, you mentioned Home Depot. <laughs> and you go to Home Depot, and I can remember going to any type of hardware store when I was younger. I would go with my father. Hey, what are you working on? Oh, yeah. Oh, can I get some pointers on what fasteners would you recommend? Right. What have you? I'm not sure that same level of experience exists. And so there is a shortage in the construction trades industry. And I'm not saying that it's due to a lack of knowledge of the use of the products where someone at ACE tends to have, and this is not a paid endorsement for anybody, but at the smaller hardware stores, they tend to have a deeper understanding. They might live in the same neighborhood. Oh, yeah, I know that floor plan. Or I know, oh, it's a slump block home. This is the fastener you want to use for that. So, sure, I can buy a cheaper fastener on Amazon, but it might not even be the right one. So, so Greg, think of, the, think of the around, again, back to the title, the economics of cheap labor. We start in Arizona going back 25 years where they're starting to grow the city. The city would not have grown as fast as it did if it wasn't for utilizing 
And again, everyone knows we have maybe 25, 30 million undocumented or illegal aliens in this country. They're building homes. They're great. A lot of them are great people. Mm-hmm. They do amazing work. They work right. really hard. Sure. There's not a roofer you can go by at the moment that's not from south of the border. You just can't find one, right? They're working in 120 degrees. They're incredible people that they'll actually do that. Um, but they've displaced the roofer who said, I'll do it for $10,000. Now we've got these guys to do it for five. So now he's out of a job. You get the same carpenter who's like, it's going to cost you 25 grand for the cabinets. He's going to do it for 15. And it's great for the homeowner because now they've lowered their cost mm-hmm. of all their things. Mm-hmm. But is the money, one, staying in the country? Because we know it's not because it's being Western Union out of the country. And also, are taxes being paid? Most of the time not. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that person who paid to go through trade school or paid to build their own business who are being put out of business because of the economics of cheap labor. And you scale that, right? and you get the housing crisis we've got at the moment and the housing crisis we had in the mid-2000s because they would never have built at the rate they did, which would never have driven the price up as fast as they did because the cost to build would have been so much more that you could never have done the home improvements and the tear-down build-up for the price you could. And it was a snowball effect. That's at the same time it's making flippers rich and people are doing that, but all the ancillary workers, like Lauren, you brought up about Walmart coming in and blowing out all these different businesses. This has the same effect. It blows out so many businesses in its way by offering one guy who's contracting all these low-paid um, workers who are either paid off the books or paid very cheap for what they do. Mm-hmm compared to what a normal guy. We had this amazing guy who was one of our gardeners. I asked him, I said, you're legal, he wouldn't answer. I think he was. Um, And then when we had a a flood in the house, a pipe burst, he came and did the most incredible drywall. And I said to him, why the hell are you doing gardens? Like, this is amazing. He says, I'm illegal. And I'm like, still, you're doing this. (laughs) Sure. But he was incredible. He's, like you couldn't see the seams at all. He was that good. So these guys are really skilled, but mm-hmm. they're not being paid what they should be for these jobs. What's funny is, what would? How does this impact? So, the people that would normally be doing these jobs, say, um, and getting paid the, the going rate, yeah, they now have to get another job. So they get the job at McDonald's and. He can't raise a family, so then they have to raise the. Everyone's clamoring to let's raise the minimum wage. Well, if they're allowed to do their skilled labor that they were qualified to do, maybe we wouldn't need to. If, uh, you wouldn't, uh, exactly. Well, I, I think there's a couple of factors in this, and, and Mike Rowe, I think, sheds a lot of light on some things that we went through a period of time where uh, it was looked down upon. If your son or daughter after high school was going to go into the trades, right? Oh, geez. Oh, uh, uh. oh, not so smart, are they? Right. And so as a society, when you have that working one direction and then you have an influx of individuals, legal or not, that are willing to do anything to be able to provide for their families, wherever their families may reside. Right that it created a situation where you're going to have 
a significant difference. Um, and if and, and and I think it's it's it really brings up a fascinating point of why we as a nation for a period of time look down on the trades. When you when you look at right now, if someone goes from high school into trade school, let's say they go work as a carpenter and start framing homes, and you look over the span of their career versus someone that's gonna go to, let's say, all the way through medical school, and by the time they're burdened with all the student loans, as long as they have to repay them, that you start to run the math and the calculation over the long run, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But yet, the person that's going to be the career carpenter, you know, the, the parents are running around saying, oh, look at Johnny, he's going to medical school. He's going to medical school. He's going to be a doctor. Oh, what's Steve doing? Oh, he's going to... He's, he's swinging a hammer. He's swinging a hammer. Yeah. He's a carpenter, like Jesus. Yeah. But that... I, I think it's it's just a fascinating idea. Some people will argue that there's a percentage of the population that backfilled the jobs that the Americans didn't want. We didn't want to absolutely. Well, yeah. that's the the whole argument why the, the that you always hear is that they're not they're not taking away jobs; they're taking the jobs that Americans didn't want. But is that the chicken and the egg situation? Sure. Though, right. Yeah. So I thought around this, which is in this country we have monopolies laws, right, to stop unfair competition. Now. Business only works competitively if everyone plays by the same rules. And that's why monopolies laws are in place, because obviously, you know, if, if you have a monopoly of an area, you can c compete differently. This is almost like an underbelly of a monopoly situation where it's like, Greg, how much are you going to charge to do my yard? $200 a month. Oh, this guy's going to do it for 120 Can you do it for cheaper? Oh, this guy will get into 100. <laughs> sure. And they're always going to undercut you um, because it's that or nothing. Where you, it's like, I need to run a business. I need to pay this need to pay this line out of this. They just need cash flow. Well, it, it goes back to, so it's not just, you know, uh, manual labor. I see it a lot in the tech world is that you can hire resources in other countries at, you know, a third of the price of what American workers are. And when their economy is not on the same scale as ours, so you could pay them a dollar. Right. And they're like, this is great. And this that is, happened, yeah. Well, and this is way more money. Yeah. yeah. And, well, it still happens. Yes, of right? course. I mean, yeah. and we see it all the time. And, you know, up close to where I live, there's a, you know, a big employer that hires a huge uh, influx of uh, foreign workers. And they all, instead of having individual houses, there'll be five or six guys that live mm -hmm. in a one or two bedroom apartment. Yeah. They don't care because that's it's culturally, that's, as well. that's where they are from back home. And they, they live on a fraction of the money and they send all that money back home, which is great for their families back home. Yeah. But that money comes out of our economy. Yeah. And it's no longer going to the shops in the neighborhood. It's going back home, which great for them to support their families at back at home love that aspect of it but when you can pay someone 10 cents on the dollar it's not it it's an unfair advantage for them or it's a disadvantage for american workers at this point so it makes everything skewed in the pricing you made me think of something when i was growing up um we had in england merry old england um 
a, 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 we call it, you go across the road and there was a sweet shop, a baker, a butcher, a hardware store, a hairdresser, a chemist. And these were in just this two little areas of the road. And you, and you basically got most of your shopping from there. It wasn't until ooh, late 70s or whatever that a supermarket came in close enough where we could walk to that, get the groceries and walk home. Um, but then as the bigger stores came, all of those little independent stores just were put out of business because mm -hmm. people are like, why am I buying bread from you for three pound where I can go and get it for a pound up at the supermarket and I can get all my other things at the same time. And it put every one of those shops out of business. Yeah. Even the hairdressers, because in our stores, they had a salon in there as well. Yeah, there's some of the Walmarts here in town, you can see that. Right. They'll have everything from an optometrist, yeah. uh, pharmacy, and it's banks. Yeah. They have everything right yeah. there. Yeah. Hairdressers. It's... Man, so. there's, a, there's a lot of lot of information in there to unpack. So the idea of now I'm going to pay a pound for a loaf of bread versus three pounds. What is the process that that supermarket goes through to bring that bread to market? And is it, is it baked with the same level of ingredients? Because now it's negotiated on a national level through some big organization that now they're able to get a better deal because they're buying in bulk, buying at scale, right. right? So, and so then there's the pressure from the retailer to say, "Hey, Ian, you grow wheat. I'll buy your wheat for X dollars per bushel." Hey, Lauren, he'll I can get it from him for this. Can I get it for less for you? So now you guys are competing against each other because yeah. you want the contract with me. And some of those big retailers that we've talked about pinch every single penny and there's even product lines that are different to be sold through that retailer. Yeah. Now we've got to be careful here, right? Because I'm a huge believer in capitalism. Sure. Right. As and, and, it, and this can sound like we're advocating a little bit for some kind of socialist, you know, he Good controls point. the means of production sure, sort of thing. Sure. And it isn't at all, but it, it's capitalism only works if everyone has the same rules in the same industries. Sure. The right. power industry can be different from a bakery, right? But the, um, you think about it in the way of, let's say, even like meat. Mm -hmm. If one person's like, oh, we're, we're feeding our cows whatever they'll eat. Shh, don't look, don't ask. We'll just feed them, like pump them up, take them to, take them to slaughter. And the other guys got, like, we raise grass-fed, they're sure. out in pastures. We give them massages every right? day. Right. <laughs> and... If if it's not disclosed the difference, you'd think it's an apples for apples comparison. Sure. Um, and then if there's different regulations on the way meat can be handled, how long it can be stored for, how long it gets to market, the sell by dates, or if it, if all those things aren't equal, um, and and even to the point of in one slaughterhouse you've got people being paid fifty bucks an hour, other slaughterhouse you've got minimum wage workers paying sure. 15 bucks an hour. Well, I mean, that goes even further than that. We import a lot of meat that's already been oh, packaged. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you're going to a country, getting your meat from, let's say, China or Brazil, and they have a factory that's paying people a dollar a day, yeah. not an hour, just a day, how, do you comp how, does it, how does someone compete with that? So that's where the when economies have different moral values so 
you know, that have this, the slavery or, you know, we don't care about the, the workers. It's more about our country instead mentality, like the Chinas of the world. But, it, but isn't that line where the government's first job is to protect the borders of the United States from everything domestic <laughs> and foreign, right? Mm-hmm. But isn't it also to protect goods? Well, there should be a... So that's the whole trade deficit and trade, you know making sure that there's a balance of trade. Yeah. You know, tariffs, people like, oh, well, I don't want to pay, you know, I want this iPhone, but I don't want to pay a $1,000 tariff on an iPhone, so now I'm paying $2,000 for an iPhone, which technically that's what they should be paying for an iPhone, but because it's, you know, being made in China, and, you know, then we get, you know, where we're at, we have the Taiwanese semiconductors being right. that big factory. Well, they're built. They're making the the, pro, the the components here, but they're getting shipped back to Taiwan to be reassembled. You know, so they they can say that they're made, Manuf- yeah, or manufactured or whatever. So depending on how much is either assembled or whatever. Yeah, so they're trying to skirt the laws instead of just saying, okay, you know what, these people over here are being taken advantage of with slavery. We don't trade with them. So, I don't care if it's cheaper. We just have to put a stake in the ground. So last topic on this is steel, right? Um, I remember growing up as a kid, our knives were sharp. Our knives were Sheffield steel. And over here, it's probably Pittsburgh steel, right? Um, they made some of the best metal. Um, it, was, it was pure. It was hard. A friend of mine even said the other day, if you could ever go to a garage sale and see someone selling old drill bits, buy them. He said, because the, the old ones will go through anything. Yeah. You buy a new one, it's like, <laughs> gone. Yeah. yeah. You know, he said, it's crap because it, it isn't tempered properly. It isn't very well made. So the economics of, like you were just saying, importing crap from yeah. overseas. Yeah, you could now, you're only paying, you know, 10 bucks for a drill bit instead of 20 bucks for a drill bit. But it doesn't last. You're not supporting your own economy. You're not maintaining standards and things like that so how many of us have bought a cheap tv in the last few years you know it's yeah you know i'll buy this tv because it's cheap you know it's you know you can get a whatever 60 inch tv or 80 inch tv for 600 bucks or 700 bucks nowadays it's like well and on the absolutely it's disposable look at what's gone on with home appliances Don't give How long washing machines last? Microwaves, dishwashers, all of Refrigerators that. Refrigerators used to last. They would be handed down. Right. Yeah. right. Absolutely. But to your point, Ian, on the... Sure, drill bits matter for someone that's actually going to use them. But if we're in the disposable society that we live in, I finished the project, I threw away the tools. That's pretty where it's going. Yeah. I didn't want to store them. I just don't wait. And so what are our takeaways here? Um... I'm thinking along the lines of, look, you're never going to be perfect. We don't want to come across as sanctimonious on this. But maybe just a bit of consideration when you're purchasing things. And, like, I don't want to buy electric batteries where kids in the Congo have been used to mine lithium. Right. Don't want to do that. I think understanding the full supply chain of where your products come from. And from for me, what I try to do, and I um, recently just started doing because I, granted, I still buy a lot of stuff off Amazon, <laughs> but 
try to buy stuff locally. Um, even going to a coffee shop. Do you go to the corporate coffee shop? Right. It, it you know keeps wages down, and but all the money goes back to the corporate office. Or do you go? Oh, that's a local coffee shop. It's a mom and pop. Let's go give them money because if we don't start you know utilizing those services, they're going to go away. So basically, voting with your money. Yes, right. that's exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Greg, do you want to wrap this up? And you're supporting. You know, their kids might be going to school with your kids. Exactly. And it's supporting the the local neighborhood, which was really a cornerstone for this country for so long. Uh, so, so I think to, to wrap this up, it's just a matter of spend a moment before you make that purchase. Not necessarily the Snicker bar, Snickers bar at the counter, because hopefully that was made here in the States. But uh, when you're looking to make that purchase, do a little bit of research and figure out where do you want to vote with your dollars. I'm Greg. I'm Ian. And this is Lauren. We'll see you again next time.